Welcome to Fly on the Wall again, and we're here again, and we've got a new topic. What have we got, Dr. Peter? We are talking about today other kinds of boundary violations, and we may work in some stuff about authority within the church as well. So let's just run through our guests again. We've got a distinguished panel of mental health professionals and uh, all Catholic. Start over here. Dr. John Cadwalder, Central Psychological Services, Indianapolis, Indiana. Dr. Peter Martin, Catholic Social Services in Lincoln, Nebraska. Dr. Eric Gadan of Integritas in Indianapolis, Indiana. Dr. Mark Glafke of Glafke Psychological Services in Lafayette, Indiana. I'm Dr. Peter Melanoski, Secure Foundations, Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm Dr. Jerry Creed, Transfiguration Counseling in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Dr. Matt McCall, work at Catholic Charities in Denver, Colorado. Dr. Andrew Sodergren, Rural Woods Psychological Services in Cincinnati. So, in our last show, we discussed the reactions, both our own and also uh, from our clients, about the sex abuse scandal in the church. And we thought we'd just broaden it out a little bit to other types of issues that maybe don't get as much attention or the grab the headlines in the same kind of way as mm-hmm. child abuse or adolescent uh, you know, abuse or other kinds of, you know, uh, those kinds of things within the church. So, because sometimes, you know, there's other kinds of things that happen as well. So. It's difficult to be a bishop nowadays. Mm-hmm. I think it's always difficult to be, to be a bishop. Amen. And right. I worry about the focus on and the pressure to be a good administrator, to be um, juridically and financially prudent. And I, I, I note, um, I wish there was more of the sense of being a spiritual father especially to his clergy and the laity we should, we could pay more attention to that but especially to his own clergy oh man i agree with you i've often thought that we have our system you know if i'm ruling the world and changing the whole system oh i really thought <laughs> right that in our church at least it would be nice to have more bishops with smaller dioceses so that they could do exactly that which is really get to know the priest and really be a spiritual father instead i think Many of them are burdened with a lot of administrative yeah. work. Almost more of a monastic model. Is that kind of what you're thinking? I love it. Yeah, yes. yeah. The idea of bishops as spiritual father for the priest is one that's really important mm-hmm. to me. And I think it's really missing. Um, I think a lot of, in a lot of cases, bishops are experienced more like an uh, administrator, bureaucrat, boss, mm-hmm. someone that I don't want to know, you know if I'm having a problem rather than someone I go to when I have a problem because I want his help. And that's, that's a cultural problem. It's, just, it's a structural problem in the church that needs to change. I think it's also a problem with the bishops, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I think it's a problem with human formation in bishops. Yes. And so they're not reliable right. to go to yes. in a lot of cases. Correct. And I think that is a real problem that sometimes in the church, because we're being nice, mm-hmm. we don't want to say. You know, well, and, and related to that um, is, is <coughs> not only the formation of bishops, but the selection of bishops. Uh, you know, some of us do uh, psychological evaluations for candidates for seminary, but you know, since the this most recent uh, round of, of uh, scandals hit, one thing I've thought about is how bishops are chosen, and why um, 
why don't they have to go through a similar kind of vetting process <laughs> as uh, you know what men have to go through right. for uh, priestly orders? Um, there's nothing comparable that happens at that point. Mm-hmm. It seems like so much of what the bishop does is image management and risk management, yeah, PR, uh, PR, mm-hmm. and. I don't think I've ever heard a homily by a bishop that wasn't incredibly bland. Um, like it, it's always just very palatable, almost nothing um, that I get from a bishop's wow. homily, which is really too bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know uh, if you guys have different. I've heard some. I mean, I've heard some good ones. I mean, you know, the, some have been pretty inspiring, but I think I tend to like. Uh, Stay with in my memory the ones that upset me more. Kind of a confirmation bias, yeah. but I think the thing that recently in the past year that really upsets me uh, is when I hear, particular response to the church, you know, abuse scandal or just any problems in the church is like this, like summing it up, particularly by members of the hierarchy, that it's a, it's clericalism, and I just want to vomit because. It is an issue, yes, but it's not simply that. It's like saying it's like, well, it's just abuse of authority, and it's not talking about anything specific. It's not also talking about a lot of like really key issues that, that, that people don't want to talk about. You know, I think it really is related to this aspect of um, the church suffering from a lack of fatherhood from you know our priests, bishops, cardinals, but within lady too. I mean, in, in our practice, I mean, all these father wounds. I mean. They're, they're real, they're severe, but it's effect, we're seeing it in, in the clergy as well, and particularly the bishops. And I talked to a lot of priests that are like dying for a spiritual father that they can trust, and they'll go to war for them. But they're afra- a lot of times they're afraid because of liability. Now there's a big liability focus, which is important, but I think it's almost too much of an emphasis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, well, and these guys are afraid to like come forward and actually like process stuff with their, their spiritual father. And things are being hidden because <clears throat> I mean, does, sometimes you know the the paranoia is true. I mean, the fear is real. Right. And where they've heard of brother priest and presbyter yeah. yeah. approach the bishop for care, and then it's turned against them, or they're sent off to wherever respectively. Well, that, that's what I'm reacting to. I don't yeah. like the pretending that we can just go to our spiritual father because it's a man who you know, depending diocese diocese bishop to bishop, there's a lot of variability in terms of human mm. formation. Right. And how healthy how healthy the bishops are, how healthy they are, right? You know, and I I that's something that I'm really concerned about. And there also seems to be this corporate sort of aspect about the bishops. Like, it's rare that a bishop breaks ranks and speaks out. Mm-hmm. You know, di- different than the rest of the than the rest of the conference, right? And and I'm I'm concerned about like why that is. Right, and I can understand that there's emphasis on collegiality and emphasis on, on obedience and emphasis on you know respect and wanting to um, you know preserve you know this uh, this this you know the the harmony within the church and so forth. But we've got people that are really being harmed mm-hmm. in major major ways, and sometimes it seems like they're totally clueless in the way that they respond to these kinds of things and in, in a number of cases that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. Like what are some other ways? Tone deaf. Just totally tone deaf. Or, or worried about the wrong What's an things. issue? Not, don't be specific, but what's an issue like an issue what forms that, of harm? that is being missed? That's mm-hmm. being uh, that, that is many bishops are blind to. So, so one of the things is harm that comes to people that are not minors. Right. So, like, I've worked with a number of people that have had different adults that have had different types of relationships with 
and I do consult nationwide, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. with different types of, with priests, you know, or that have been harmed by um, diocesan officials or things like that. And, you know, a lot of times that's not like seen as that big of a deal, really. You know, when the power dynamics, the differentials are so, so great. We got, we started to get into some of this with the McCarrick scandal with uh, seminarians, right? They're adults, right? But now for the first time, people are starting to realize, hey, even though they're adults, they're 18 years old or older. They're vulnerable. They're vulnerable because of the way that these, these things happen psychologically, you know. Coercive power. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're, if you're with a spiritual director, right, and that director is poorly formed, there's tremendous ways that that can be used to harm somebody that's a directee, right? Um, and there's a lot of vulnerability that happens in that relationship and should be in that relationship in a certain sense, right? The sort of revealing, of, you know, what's going on in the conscience and the soul and so forth. And sometimes, like, I think there's a lot of harm that's actually not yet being recognized. So I think there's going to be a whole other wave of, of awareness that goes beyond, you know, the, uh, the scandals that have already broken with, uh, with minors. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just a minute ago we were talking about spiritual fatherhood and bishops being spiritual fathers, but we call priests father, right? And they are spiritual fathers uh, by, by virtue of their office. It's what priests are. And so if they cross that line with an adult who relates with them as priest, you know, whether it's priest penitent or priest parishioner or whatever, this is a priest, they're a spiritual father, it, it, by nature of that relationship, it, they're not equal. There's a power differential, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, in my opinion, it's always abusive. And I don't think that adult victims have uh, been adequately uh, responded to um, in the church. And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of that is because um, you know the church isn't legally required to the way she is with children. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. There's not a right. civil law matter there mm-hmm. to force her hand, uh, which is really. Uh, sad to say, and unfortunate. Because then, then it's the then it's the institution or hierarchical church taking the moral guidance from the civil state. Correct. And how backwards is that? Right. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah, I get a lot of evidence in practice of uh, inappropriate emotional uh, affairs and relationships mm-hmm. with yeah. priests and the laity, and that you know I think it starts out somewhat innocently, a priest giving some direction, you know, say to a female who's struggling just in her life or maybe in her marriage and all of a sudden those relationships you know the interactions go from just like a 30 or 45 minute meeting to two hour meetings or you know later in the evening and there's become this emotional attachment and the two people are in it pretty deeply even before they even realize it and there's just tons of damage that comes from that and like those things aren't really addressed and obviously they've got a lot of things to be serious things to address but those are those are really, really damaging and breed all kinds of problems. And those are things that kind of get glossed over in some of these conversations. Yeah, that, I, I like that example you brought up there because it starts earlier. Mm-hmm. Like the, the violation of the clear violation of boundaries starts much earlier than that. Uh, St. Gregory the Great actually had this. Um, what he would do is when he would look at his spiritual directees, he would try to figure out if they had a vice masquerading as a virtue. So in this case... Mm. The priest is saying, I'm sacrificing my time for this attractive young woman, mm. right, or otherwise. And so, oh, look, I, the, the hour passed by. And so now we're holding hands because it's virtuous to soothe them, right? And then the next step happens and the next step. 
But really what's going on is it's like, it's kind of these fuzzy boundary violations, and then it turns into a major violation. Um, and, and it feels to the priest a lot of times like it's, it's a partnership of equals at that point, mm-hmm. but it's not. That's mm-hmm. the key. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're, they're taking that kind of authority mm-hmm. uh, experience, and, then, and, and whether they claim it or not, it's, it's manipulating what's going on. And so then you run into some major issues down the line. But really mm-hmm. it's them probably telling themselves that it's them self- sacrificing agopically when right. really there's some underlying things going on there that aren't really other focused. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a crisis of, um, talking about priests, talking a crisis of fatherhood, a crisis of um, emotional maturity. We talk about bishops not showing sufficient fatherhood, priests not showing for, uh, sufficient fatherhood, and I think this has come from a lot of the laity not showing sufficient fatherhood um, because seminarians and, and priests and bishops are drawn from the laity, right. all raised right. by laity. Right. Um, <laughs> and the examples that they've been given. Um, and, the t- and there's a lot of um, psychologically toxic environments, which, um, I mean, like toxins in like carcinogens, so to speak, which undermine and erode away the capacity to be emotionally mature psychosexually mature to have those boundaries to the sensitivity. I am, um, I'm, so I'm sympathetic, to, I mean, so I spoke about it. I mean, you're right, this, this woman is, um, the woman in the hypothetical case, uh, not hypothetical case sometimes, is, be, is, 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 um, is being taken advantage of and getting in a very compromised situation. And, think about the, and you're talking about the priest. Um, we wish that he would know better, mm-hmm. um, but how are we setting up mm-hmm. our priests to know better, they need to have enough relational, psychological savvy, emotional nourishment to be able to, that their emotional needs are getting met in a fraternity, that they don't look for it in their flock. Right, they need to be relational to begin with, and we're seeing pretty significant deficits in, you know, their capacity to relate well to others in an intimate way, like to, mm-hmm. to have good, solid, Male French, I'm stunned by the number of men that I assess. You know, when you ask them about their relational history, and it's like, you ask them, well, who is their closest relationship? Who, who is their best friend? Mom. And that sounds wonderful, right? You have a good relationship with your mother. I'm glad I don't for think that. it does, Dr. Mothers are good. Love our mothers. But, 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 but I think that's yeah. true because, I mean, to the point Dr. Martin's making to bring these two together, you know, when mom is the number one, you know, and honor thy mother, honor thy father, but when you're, you know, an adult of 40 years old and you have a sense of all of my relational needs with any kind of woman is primarily my mother, well, there isn't a sense of, you know, fellowship, other kinds of friendships, things like that, too. Right. So it's not the idea that priests should be friends with women, you know, have those kinds of, you know, exclusive relationships. It's not good. But the sense of where I can't tolerate really leaving my mother for other kind of relationships, that's problematic. It reminds me of something that someone told me very astutely a long time ago. And where often those cases, you can't spell smother without mother. (laughs) (laughs) So that's really problematic because, you know, to Dr. Martin's point, the sense of where if the priest is that unaware of, you know, his own needs, his own brokenness, his own vulnerability, it may seem to be that reasonable. But it's kind of where, whether that's rationalization, denial, or whatever, it may not be intently predatory in nature, at least at first. Mm-hmm. And there are those cases that happen, sadly, too. 
And then yeah. they kind of get into the deep end before they even realize it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times people mistake um, an absence of malice for like an absence of wrongdoing. <laughs> Right. If you don't detect malice and, yeah. and somebody's really sincere and they really seem like they're trying to help, but they're naive mm-hmm. or they're they're not aware, mm-hmm. that that's still great evil can still happen. Absolutely. Great evil can happen even if there's mm-hmm. not an evil intent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Because desires get unlocked in these kind of situations and dynamics that are more powerful, you know, than people realize get activated and can sweep people away. You know, but what happens though, I think, is that that again goes back to human human formation. It goes back to human formation. And yes, we should have these systemic checks and balances. I totally agree with that. But I also think we need, you know, we we need people to say, hey, you know, there's something wrong that's going on here. There's something because a lot of times with cases like this, there's a there's an inner voice that's happening, you know, in these adults that realize there's something wrong with the relationship, you know, you know, but. <clears throat> there's not a sense that that's being, uh, you know, felt or, or communicated by by the priest or by the person in authority, right? Mm-hmm. In those situations, so so they become really disorienting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they become really disorienting to people. I think another area where a lot of damage can be done by a priest is uh, just in like the parish office, uh, because a priest is also a boss, right. uh, and not necessarily a good boss at all, and. Um, I've, I have clients who work for priests and they're scandalized by uh, the narcissism or the manipulation or the childishness of whatever, you know, mm-hmm. not all priests obviously are like this, but a few are. Um, and then they just do a lot of damage just within their, their parish and the administration of the parish to their employees. And I just think it's really hard, it's a really hard job to be a priest. Uh, and it takes, I think, Ideally, it takes an above-average level of emotional health yes. to do it yes. right. We can't just yeah, you can't just be at a normal level of human. Dysfunction. No, because you're doing so many things in so many different relationships, mm-hmm. and uh, like it's really complicated to navigate all of these relationships and not mess them all up or hurt people. And other people are not seeing the priest realistically. Priests are tremendous transference objects mm-hmm. because yeah. all kinds of needs, all kinds of projections are being yeah. put on that priest. And it's like, wow, that's that's really powerful could, and heady stuff. Could you give us an example of like what you mean by that, like a transference? A transference. Yeah. So, so, so it's like people are trying. People often go to priests to heal, right? So they bring their wounds, right? Father wounds, men wounds, God wounds to the priest, right? And they're dealing with a whole set of dynamics that go back often to when they're very young, that are very powerful. That the, that the person's not aware of, right? And oftentimes there's a lot of idealization of the priest, like you are the person that can help me. You are the one, and you're safe because you're celibate, right? And, um, and it can be a lot to sort of try to take that in. There's some parallels to being a therapist with mm-hmm. that because that often happens yes. in the... In the in the, in the consulting room as well, because a therapist can do immense damage yes. if they're right. operating right. without right. any awareness of what they're doing. Then they can manipulate people based in their own unconscious. For, hopefully, therapists get a lot of their own work and grow in self-awareness, um, but not all priests do. That's so right. it's really dangerous. No, I, I really value the points you both are making. I was thinking about that too. In, in a previous episode of, of Fly on the Wall, we talked about therapeutic boundaries. And I was thinking about how 
you know, we have those in a sense to protect the patient from that which has fallen and disordered in us yeah. from causing them harm. Right. And it's the same kind of thing in the clergy, but there aren't those clear guidelines and formation that, that, that we get in our training and our professional ethics that, that are there to keep the patient safe. And so I think that opens, that, that leaves too much gray area uh, for, for things to happen, even if it starts out innocently. We're dealing with fallen people. Mm -hmm. um, but to go back to a prior point, too, I, I still you just want to underscore how the institutional church, in my opinion, is not responding strongly enough to cases when adults are hurt by clergy. Um, and, and that's a real problem. It's a systemic problem. And I, I don't know what's going to change that because of some of the corporate dynamics you talked about. It's kind of a group think, kind of protect the brand sort of attitude, uh, unless they're forced by, by some kind of civil, um, you know, uh, or, or, you know, fiduciary, uh, you know, circumstance. It's hard for me to see how that's going to change. I, well, I think another alternative is saints. You know, really. Yes. <laughs> Men and women that are really going to step it up. I don't yeah. really want to rely yeah. on... Right. Local, state, or federal so, right. government. No, to that's do that. that's where the bishops, yeah. bishops, are, bishops have right. the issue of I have to have, find guys who are assignable. I have to be right. able to put guys in churches. Yeah. And where they these guys are coming from, like you said, Dr. Gudan, they're coming from the laity. They're coming from society with all of society's ills. And so it's a challenge. Yeah, and I, and I greatly respect the priesthood. And I actually had discerned vocation to the priesthood and religious life in particular. And, um, and just because they get ordained does not mean that, that some of the intimacy needs that were there before the ordination all of a sudden evaporate. <laughs> and so, what? you know, and I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, what? this may come as a shot. Ordination <laughs> as total elimination of all disorder? That's yeah. not actually how it Apparently works? Apparently that doesn't happen. But, but, but I'm thinking like of, marriage. you know, I'm thinking of those, those kind of five levels levels of intimacy or four or five, I'll probably miss a couple. But I'm thinking of, you know, physical intimacy needs, like just being able to get some yeah. form of healthy affection from other priests, you know, if it's a hug or just something that says you matter and you're important. Mm -hmm. Emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, of course, um, interpersonal intimacy and intellectual intimacy, that's what I'm thinking of. Those all need to be addressed at some level. And, and we, can't, we can't think that, that um, them simply getting spiritual intimacy needs is going to be sufficient to handle all the stuff they're going to come up against. Because they're going to be hit between the eyes with some very tough issues, either as a leader of their parish or as a teacher if they're teaching, or even just one-on-one -on -one with someone in their parish. And so I think, I think they have to find ways to get all of those intimacy needs met in a healthy way with the right people at the right time. Or otherwise, they're just going to be more prone to mm -hmm. falling into these mm -hmm. difficult traps and, yes. and coping patterns that are just going to be extremely problematic, not only for them, but for the vulnerable, you know, for the right. ones that, that, that mm -hmm. really should be protected from that. Yeah. And some yeah. of us that complete evalu <clears throat> seminarian evaluations uh, in this group, uh, I know in, in conversations have received some pushback from the hierarchy in terms of like in our evaluations, our concerns about a given candidate. And I think the pushback is like, you're being too stringent. You're being too harsh about this individual. It's unrealistic. And you know, our, what we expect for this person, like, look, we don't expect them to be perfect, but um, like <clears throat> what they have to deal with as a priest has always been difficult. 
But I mean, given just the level of hurt and woundedness in the culture and the breakdown of the family over the past 80 to 100 years, it's like these men and are going to, they're facing such challenges and like these these transference issues and people applying their own neglect from their, within their own families onto these priests that they have to know themselves and be really sturdy and figure out where their insecurities are and how they're going to break down. If not, like, they've got a lot, of, a lot of problems. And it's not just like we're training, like, soldiers for an army. We're training mm-hmm. commanding officers. Like, mm-hmm. they, they have to be pretty sturdy. And, you know, they're not going to be perfect, but it's charitable to them. Mm-hmm. And we just we love these guys. We want them to thrive in their yeah. vocation. It's yeah. just like men and women, their marriages. We just don't want mm-hmm. them to just simply stay married. We want them to thrive mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I even think, like, I agree. I, I think it's even more complex than a commanding officer. Because I'm thinking of a Colonel Clink or whatever you want to say. <laughs> Sorry, it's an old old quote. But, but to think, like, that is definitely not sufficient for a parish priest. That's not sufficient. There also needs to be someone who's there that's very compassionate and warm. And, and I think to be able right. to have that military mindset is very critical. But, but really, mercy, I mean, if you think about the church's understanding of mercy, the number one aspect of our relationship with God, especially after the fall, is, is um, steadfast, tender compassion. So you've got like commanding officer who also has this complementary side that needs to be steadfastly compassionate to those they're with. That's a complicated, uh, sophisticated psychological and spiritual approach that is required for an integrated priest. See, but I think the Colonel Clink example is good, and I laugh because it was funny, but also yeah. it makes a good point, in the sense of where <clears throat> that's part of the challenge, which is to Dr. McCall's point, these men have to be above average. And it's kind of where I think being dismissive of where well, you know, they're just whatever age, you know, we weren't you kind of this or that too. They they have to be exceptional and part of it where just because they're not bad means they're good enough. Mm-hmm. And that's problematic because right. it is assuming that warm bodies mean holiness <laughs> and can be have the capacity of being shepherds too. Or at least adequacy, right? Because it's one thing if this guy's working in a fam you know, in a factory, stays single till he's thirty five, marries, has two kids, I mean, he may not have the same kind of pressures. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a whole different world. Or responsibility. Or responsibilities. Like right. these guys are CEOs. Well, you know, in addition to being military to, officers. Fathers to hundreds and thousands right. compared to four in my case. And mm-hmm. I, that's there's there's a bit of a difference there. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I you know, I really connect with the idea that, that in a way they need to be exemplars. Now I mean I, obviously we have to be realistic. Sure. Right? right? I mean we're dealing with fallen humanity and, and, and sure. all of this, but uh, but the bar does have to be higher. Uh, I have another take on it, just a little bit. No, Being not you. <laughs> not you, Jerry. Because <laughs> I, I, I think if you get a, some superhero guy who's super into his faith and he's like on fire and he seems very pretty well developed and came from a decent family and all this kind of stuff, I still think that guy goes through seminary, probably has a really good experience in seminary. I, I can see him um, being put into a big parish Right, and now he's a parochial vicar, but he's going to probably move pretty quickly to pastor because there's a shortage, right? Unlike in previous years, and he gets the life sucked out of him from administrative kind of task, parish duties stuff. When he went into the priesthood to be a pastor, to be pastoral, to help people, and so he gets to a place of disillusionment, and he gets worn out. And his intimacy needs yeah. have never really been truly addressed and all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, you've got, hey, let's just throw an example. Some woman in the parish 
who's in a very unhappy marriage. She's got a couple kids. Uh, she's lonely and all. Like you, you can paint the, paint the picture. She's not a bad person per se, but she's just in a bad place. And then now this transference issue you've got, right? Where all of a sudden she looks at him. He's totally safe. He's celibate. He's maybe he's good looking. He's 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 uh, engaging, warm, charismatic, warm, warm, yeah. warm compassionate. Listen, you know, hopefully he doesn't have Colonel Clinks, you know, monocle, yeah. And so, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, they start connecting. And so I'm thinking to myself, this was a good guy. You know, this wasn't a malformed, mm-hmm. messed up guy. He was probably one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. But what did we do with him? After, after he left seminary. So you're saying systemically, he's been hung out to dry. Yeah, yeah, because they don't have the same. Because he used to be go be a priest. He used to be used to be three three parish priests in one parish, but in a rectory. And now we've got one priest with three parishes, Mm -hmm. who's very much on his own. Like who's checking in on these guys? Yeah. You know, like, where's what the fraternity? What support does he have? Right, right. Is he meeting with other priests in right. other yeah. parishes? Is there a spiritual father, a right. pastor person that he right. can talk to? Right. What, what's going on? Like, yeah. is there not, is there non-parishioner, yeah. laity people that right. are also part of his network of support? Right. In what environment does he have to be uh, emotionally vulnerable and to share? Who can he talk to? Because he has to be Superman for right. all mm-hmm. And I'll parishes. make it worse. I'll just make this up. I believe you can. I believe you can make it worse, Jerry. Our pastors had an affair, Uh or maybe a gay relationship or something. Yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah. All his idealism, all of his, you know, and he's and and now and he's left having to you know do meetings constantly and do finance meetings and deal with difficult parishioners. Right. That's that's a hard place to be with nowhere to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And where is God? Starts to you know it starts to wear on all levels. God right? betrayed me. Right, I I sacrificed for God, and I just need a little love. I just need a little time. I just need somebody that cares about me. And this lady is going to provide a lot of attention and affirmation, and she's going to think he's amazing and, right. and all sure. that stuff. And and they become closer and closer over time. Right. Mm-hmm. And he didn't start out as a bad guy. That's true, mm-hmm. Jerry. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. That there are some definite systemic issues here, and people can burn out. <clears throat> And get, find themselves in a vulnerable place, and then a mistake happens. Uh, and sometimes, you know, one mistake can lead to many. Um, and so, I do have a lot of concerns about, you know, the, the the well-being of priests and what we're doing to support them in their ministry, and and how are they to get their intimacy needs met? Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's an easy question to answer. And then it gets found out, and then what happens to him? Exactly. You know, yeah. now, you know. Now he's sent to, maybe sent for mental health treatment at a facility because he's exploited a relationship mm-hmm. or something like this or whatever. And I'm not saying that isn't necessarily appropriate. but And I think most of the time it doesn't get found out. Like emotional affairs. They, a lot mm-hmm. of times there's no, you can't point to some physical boundary violation. But man, there was a. Man, there was an enmeshment that happened there that was really mm-hmm. devastating. Well, under the guise of sacrifice, that's the key, right? Yeah. So this this yeah. is how it keeps going a lot of times, uh, and 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 I don't necessarily I don't necessarily question the integrity of that starting point, mm-hmm. uh, but then what happens is it get mixed what it gets mixed with all of these insecurities and loneliness and other stuff, and then it's like oh, it's still sacrificing. Hey, what are you doing Friday night again? And they're still right. saying, oh, what's going on Saturday morning? And and then you run into some serious problems because they are behaving in a very inappropriate way. And then that complicates things and makes it worse. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think, not that this is a, a, an answer necessarily, but I, I do think considering the times, um, and also and I'm, I'm drawing this mostly from the marital situation and some of the research that, you know, people have um, divorced parents and divorced grandparents and maybe even great-grandparents. And so it, it kind of modifies the whole system of security and trust. And then, so now they're supposed to get married. You know, if you think about it, they're supposed to get married. And, oh, okay, let's go with it. That, nothing different. Let's stick to the model we had before, right? <laughs> what can go wrong, right? And then I'm thinking also, it's not just people that are called to the married vocation. It's also people to other vocations like the priesthood or religious life. I honestly think considering the state of affairs um, and, and, and the historical context, I think we have to start modifying the way we do formation so that it's not just before they get ordained. It's ongoing. It's something that's ongoing. Oh, yes, and, it's, yes. and it's with someone, with someone, you call it a mentor, attachment yes. figure, whatever you want, that they have already established a fairly strong, healthy, robust attachment relationship with before the ordination that's in their home diocese. Yes. That is respected, and then that continues beyond the ordination day, especially during their junior priesthood. Those years are, can be very challenging, of course, and even later. There's different periods. But I do think they need that kind of outlet. And my yes. opinion, my humble opinion, is that it's something that would be good to have formally instated so that it's expected. Because my sense of that is they're looking for someone like that mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. So why not have it implemented and set up? before they even get so ordained. you've worked on that uh, marriage prep program that involves <clears throat> that kind of model of, mm -hmm. of selecting a mentor couple for long-term accompaniment. Right. What, what's the name of it again? It's called Witness to Love. Witness it, to Love. It has great outcomes and yeah. so forth in preventing divorce. But I really, issues. yeah, I really like what you're saying. I'm essentially using that same kind of model. To, you know, this, mm -hmm. is, this relationship is there from, from when they're a seminarian and then on into the future. Right. Uh, I think that, that would be, I think that's really vital. During the rocky roads especially, they're yeah, going to yeah. need that support, yeah. Another thing to, I think to be discussed and considered and I think in changing the model, particularly within diocesan priesthood, is that you know, when, when a man enters seminary, he has an ordination date already selected by their diocese. And so mm. it's like having a save the date Mm. when you enter seminary <laughs> and then that's a lot of pressure on, yeah. on the man yeah. and it's like and, and given a, what we're seeing in terms of just on a natural level woundedness lack of you know effective maturity you know uh, their lack of intimacy and be able to relate to others well and, and handle stress and adversity there's a lot to cover and for a lot of men they're coming into seminary and it's like there's four years until ordination to the diaconate or to priesthood. That's a lot of human formation too. It's four years is not that much time. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then there's embarrassment that they're trying to protect themselves from if they step away because they need to get some help. Yep. And so it can really be an internal compulsion for them not to reveal <laughs> things. Mm -hmm. And this is where you're starting to see them come out after ordination. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, I think it's a real, I mean, I, I, more conversations <laughs> need to be held, but people like ourselves, you know, coming to, uh, our local diocese and bishops and actually talking about like there's got to be a different way that we can approach this and, and it may not be reinventing the wheel but like some modifications or maybe it looks more like those that are in formation for religious life that basically they're in formation until they're deemed ready to 
to be ordained. Mm-hmm. I really like that not having the date because mm-hmm. who starts a dating relationship and says, "Okay, if this works out, we're going to get married," you know, on August twenty third. Well, arranged you know, marriages. Yeah, well, arranged marriages. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but they have other people looking at it, right? You know, I mean, that's true. Not, I'm not an advocate for arranged marriages. I just want to be clear about that. I think they're a pretty good idea. Actually. <laughs> hey, we got a topic for our next round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andrew, I've been thinking about, about that myself. My daughter's getting older. Yes, I want to. I want to go back to your scenario, Jerry, that you mm-hmm. you painted for us with the the priest who started out as a great guy and then found himself <clears> in this bad situation, yeah. makes a mistake. So let's say a, a sexual boundary violation occurs. Uh, what uh, what do you think the church's response should be to that? Mm, I love it. I, I could start by I could try to answer, but I think no, I think everybody should. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's a good question. Yeah. Well, let me ask this: Do we want to make that our next topic? Because we are actually up against the end of the time mm-hmm. for this mm-hmm. particular. Uh, we gotta wait a month. Cut. Can we wait a month? We can Ooh. wait a month. Let's all get back together here in a month. Wear the same clothes. Sit in the same, same places. places. Yeah. Well, let's let's but but let's just do a quick round. Maybe you know twenty thirty seconds. Closing thoughts on this on this topic, if that's okay. And then go back into the church's response because we started to come up with solutions, right, mm-hmm. Dr. Martin? You started to come up with solutions. You, Dr. Sodergan, were also coming up with solutions. I think we ought to spend a little time, maybe, on solutions, like and how how we can like how we can actually be helpful, you know, sure. and actually at a different level. So, so next first Friday. Next first Friday. We'll have solutions. <laughs> we're gonna bring. We'll be we'll be bringing solutions to all you flies and to the church at large. All right. So. All right. <laughs> So we can wrap it here? Yes. Be still. Believe. Be loved. Be loved. loved. (laughs)